listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Today we're looking at a, a passage in 1 Corinthians. It was a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth. But what you might not know is he actually wrote four different letters to this church. Only two of them were preserved as the canon, as part of the scriptures. And in the other book that he wrote, the other letter that he wrote, he spoke about this church in Macedonia. And I believe that this church, Story City, Granada Hills, is matching that biblical point of view that we see Paul write about to the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth is like this super strong church. You know, it's, this, it's got two books written to it, right? Paul started it. It's this super strong church. We know a lot about it, but there's no book of Macedonia. But he writes to this strong church to remind them of the mission that's happening in another city of theirs and reminding them also that this small, new, somewhat insignificant church in Macedonia has surpassed them in generosity. And what I am looking at today, not the building, not the website, but the people, This is the same as the church at Macedonia. A group of people who can stay focused on themselves and think about themselves and, hey, you know what, we've got our own needs. We got got a building that can't even hold five pots that are cooking right now. But what matters more is not the warmth of our food, but the mission of God. And in the same way that Paul calls this church to be a church like Macedonia, I think you guys are exampling that yourself. And it makes my job easier because my job right now is to serve this network called the SEND Network. That's SEND. If I say it too fast, it like, comes out like SEND Network. And it's like, what kind of church planting network is that? Um, So uh, the SEND Network is a church planting arm of the North American Mission Board. And it's something, uh, it's an organization that Story City has been partnered with since its very beginning. And my job is to sort of uh, find and identify the next generation of church planters, to assess them, to ensure that this is good for them and good for their family and good for the church that they're going to be planting. Uh, And then we do everything we can to coach them, train them, care for them and then hopefully see them multiply again and I'm fortunate enough to get a chance to serve uh, in this role now right now we have about 75 church planters in all of Sin Los Angeles now that's the greater Los Angeles area and it's my privilege to be able to serve church planters like Ken church planters uh, like Samir and Shirley, uh, church planters like uh, Jared and uh, Monique Ossalier, people who've given their lives to see the church multiplied and to live out the truth of God's word. And and it's really a privilege for me to be here today. Now, you already heard this passage is not an easy passage. Today, we're going to be dealing with the tensions that happen in relationships because we know that as we live life, and if you've ever had a roommate or you're married or uh, you're just sharing space with someone, it's hard to do life with people. And the truth is, no one in this place is perfect. Not me, not you, not anyone who bears the name pastor. No one is. None of of us are perfect. 
And what that means is we're going to make mistakes. And if your thought is, I'm going to start going to church and all the most perfect people in the city are going to be there, so I'm not going to get hurt. It's just not how it works. Everybody here is in process. Every single one of us is in process. Each and every one of us is going to need help on this road to which we're going on. And sometimes, just like in life, when we get really far off, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to have some confrontation. The confrontation is built so that we would get back on the right road. And I would hope that you would see this church as a group of people that if you start heading in the wrong direction, that if you see your marriage kind of falling down, if you start seeing things happening in your life that are starting to bring lots and lots of pain, that there might be some people here that love you enough to challenge you in the midst of that. And today we're going to be looking at how to do that, how to do it rightly, and, and to ensure that we are submitted to that process ourselves. But uh, the church has always had tension. There's always people, there's always people with different points of view. Those points of view sometimes create tension. Um, one of my favorite stories from all of church history uh, is a story of, of the Council of Nicaea. Now, don't get too bored. So this is going to be fun, I promise you. I'm going to give you a little history, but I promise you. This one ends with a little bit of fun. So it's uh, like 325 AD. The church is coming together, bringing all the, uh, the leaders of the church together to, to make a decision on how they're going to view what God's word says about who Christ is. See, there had been this debate. Was, was Christ always eternal? Was Jesus always the son of God? Or did he become that? Maybe like at his baptism or at some point in his life, he became eternal. So they decided they were gonna come together and debate that together as the church. Now there's this one young man, his name was Arius, and Arius had a chance to present his point of view. And his point of view was that Jesus was not always eternal, that he became the son of God in his life, not that he existed as God prior to. So he's delivering that. Now Arius is known as a heretic now. So this, what I'm telling you right now is not accurate, but he was giving his presentation to all of the leaders across the world who had come together for this moment. And in this moment, there was one guy who was in the back of the room that was listening to this young fella begin to speak negatively about his savior and he could not take it anymore. So in the midst of Arius's, um, his explanation of his point of view, there's this old man who stands up, walks across the room up to the stage and slaps him in the face. <laughs> Now, this, this is incredible, right? I, I mean, I don't want that to happen today. <laughs> but it would be incredible if like an older man just came up to me and was like, boy, and just, eh. Well, listen, let me tell you who this person is because you probably don't know this. That person who did that was Saint Nicholas. Yes, Santa Claus. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like this old man who's given his life, like serving children. It's like, if you're going to talk about my savior like that, uh-uh. Here's how the story goes. 
In AD 325, Emperor Constantine convened the Council of Nicaea, the very first ecumenical council. More than 300 bishops came from all over the world to debate the nature of the Holy Trinity and that Christ only became God in life. It was one of the early church's most intensive theological questions. Arius from Egypt was uh, teaching that Jesus the Son was not equal to the Father God. Arius forcefully argued his position at length and the bishops listened respectfully. As Arius vigorously continued, Nicholas became more and more agitated and finally he came, he could no longer bear what he believed was essentially an attack on his savior. The outrage of Nicholas, he got up, he crossed the room, and he slapped Arius across the face. Now, I love history. (laughs) But I think this also shows us that there's sometimes confrontation is necessary. And sometimes that confrontation is like, we're just getting things wrong and someone needs to let us know that we're doing that. So as we look at this passage today, we're dealing with that tension and we're thinking about the importance of healthy accountability in our lives. So let's jump back into the scripture. Let's look here at verse nine. We'll kind of walk through this verse by verse. It says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Okay, so the first thing that is here is Paul is saying, I do not want you to associate with a certain group of people. But before we get to who those people are, I want you to know I am not referring to the people outside of the church. I am not talking about people who are not yet in Christ. He's basically saying this, you should not expect people who are not Christians to act like Christians. And that should be the case for us. We should expect that people who are not Christians are not going to act correctly. So we have been called to engage them. So the first idea that I think is here in this passage is for us to be reminded before we deal with the stuff inside the church, we are reminded what we're supposed to do outside the church. And outside the church, we are to engage the lost. People who are far from God, we're not to disassociate with. We are to seek them. We are to pursue them because that is who Christ was. But he is saying, do not judge. Do not judge those outside of the church because they already have a judge and his name is God the Father. Through Jesus Christ and his perfect life, they will be judged. They don't need another one. 
So don't judge them. But what you should do is engage them. Now this is specifically talking about people who are outside of the faith, that are not believers in Jesus Christ. So what we are to do, not judge them, but engage them. And Jesus shows us this in his life. Jesus shows us like a good example of this was the Samaritan people. The people of Samaria were sort of seen as like sellouts. They, they had uh, during this exile time uh, with the Assyrians, instead of being faithful, uh, they had sort of intermarried with another nation, which was actually a command that God had said not to do that was effective back then. It was important back then. Now we celebrate cultures all together like we're doing today. But uh, they were sort of seen as sellouts. And what had happened is all the people that were like the, the normal Jewish people, they looked down at Samaritans. And when we read the New Testament, we see this like starkly on display, not only in the disciples' lives, uh, but in all the church leaders' lives. They just, they just hate the Samaritans. They literally hate them. There's a moment where uh, the, the word Samaritan comes up and um, two of the disciples, like Beavis and Butthead, do you guys remember that? Anybody remember that? I'm dating myself. I, I, I grew up in the 90s. Um, but in this moment, Jesus brings up Samaria and two of the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to just burn them down. He's like, fire, fire. Let's just burn them down. And Jesus is like, no, we, we're going to go and we're going to do ministry to them. Like he even says, I have an appointment in Samaria. There's a woman who's going to be at a well. I got to go there. They want to go around. He's like, no, I got to go there. He attacks the Pharisees who don't like the Samaritans by uh, telling this parable that we all know the good Samaritan story. And it's Jesus showing all of us that that's who we are supposed to be. That who God has called us to be are people who will engage the lost, go to the people who are lost, go to the people who are far from him. Recognize they already have a judge and it's going to be a strict judgment because they're outside of Christ. Our job is to love them. Our job is to pursue them. We're to be like Christ in doing that. Each and every one of us should have our own mission field where we're taking our passions and, and our purposes, things God's put on our hearts and seeing ourselves as people who are going to go to those places and make an impact in those places. Another family who was uh, at Story City Church that's been uh, deployed out is now working uh, in North Hollywood is the Spears family. You guys might remember Daryl and Tracy Spears. One of the things that Tracy has on her heart is human trafficking. And in Los Angeles is a huge problem. It's one of the worst places in the world when it comes to human trafficking. So Tracy had given her life as her mission field is I want to do something about human trafficking. I want to pursue the people who have been trafficked the same way that Jesus is calling us to pursue uh, even the Samaritans, the people who've been rejected by this world, we want to go chase after. One of the places of activity and action for her was that we knew last year um, the Super Bowl was happening in our town. And one of the places where uh, a lot of human traffic people are going to be forced into slavery at is the Super Bowl. Now, she and Daryl are a partner with Sin Network with also Sin Relief. And their job as ministry is to help serve the church by understanding how they can engage their communities. And one of those was through human trafficking. They had done such a good job and the FBI knew that there was going to be all of these kids at the Super Bowl 
but they needed a volunteer team to do something about it. They needed people who cared. I think this is an incredible story because the Federal Bureau of Investigation noticed that they could not do this on their own, so they called the church and said, we need some help. Is there anybody out there who cares about these young lady, ladies and men? And Tracy puts her hand up and says, I care. I think we have a picture of her standing before the Super Bowl. But here's what I love about this story. Not only that the FBI called the church and asked, they had all these profiles, all these young ladies and young boys who they thought were going to be at the Super Bowl and they did all the canvassing work to get ready, make sure they knew their faces, look for them. This is amazing. Fourteen kids were rescued at the Super Bowl by sin relief because there was a group of people in the church that were passionate about trafficked children and they were rescued from those pimps and now in a safe place. Isn't that incredible? Now you might want to stay on the sidelines. You might want to just keep doing your life the way you're doing your life. Or you might want to make a difference like Tracy you might want to make a difference in the places that God has put on your heart and passion. One of the things that's been put on my heart and passion is the multiplication of churches. So in this big family and all of us doing our part, making an impact on this world, that's where my heart is. This is how God's equipped me and that's what I'm spending my life doing. But you need to find your mission field and engage the lost. That's the first thing that I see here in this passage. The second thing I see here is that God actually calls us to judge to make judgments and I know that you've heard like Jesus says do not judge that is true he's saying that about people outside the church they already have a judge don't judge them but do you know that God is clearly telling us to judge each other inside the church Look with me at verse 11. It says this, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. So this is the indication that he's saying the people specifically I'm talking about are people who claim to be Christians, claim to be in this family, claim to be brothers and sisters. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or viler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now this is where it starts getting hard. But we do see here that Paul is teaching us we are to look into the church, the family, and when we see people who've fallen into sin, we are to do something about that. And the only way that we can do that is to make judgments about one another. Now, I am telling you that while that may seem different, it is biblical. But it's also not too hard for us to see happening in an everyday life. Think about this. If any pastor is going to rightfully do his job, wouldn't he be thinking about questions like this? Where is my congregation in their spiritual walk right now? Where are they weak? Where are they strong? 
Well, if a pastor is going to lead a congregation, he has to ask that question. And as he asks that question, making judgments about where his people is, he begins to minister to that, those people in that way. We are supposed to do that. He's supposed to do that. He does the same thing for leadership. Pastor Samir is looking at the elders and the candidate elders and the leaders of this church, those who are on the team and on the staff, and he's looking at them, asking the question, where are they? And in the places that their life is not like Christ, he's been given the responsibility to disciple them towards that. You can't be a minister. You cannot be the shepherd of a church and not be looking at your church asking questions like, where are they falling right now so that I can best disciple them? It just becomes hard when the eyes are turned towards us. But if we recognize that the reason our pastor is doing that is because he wants to see us grow, he wants to see us become more like Christ, then when we get off track, it would be loving for the leaders of this church to help us get back on track. Now, it shouldn't just be like, okay, you've made a mistake, you're out. It, it should look like this. Someone who has fallen into some sort of long-term sin that we as a church are asking ourselves, how can we help? Not immediately casting aside, but immediately asking the question, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? Because someone who's cast aside, someone who is cast out with no one who's asked, how can I help, does not feel like family. But it does feel loving if someone's first asking the question, what can I do to help? Once we've established how we can help, the second thing to do with anyone is going to be to establish a growth plan. Okay, we've identified this as a place where struggle is happening. And we don't want to see you fall further into this pit. So let's begin to think about how we could grow out of that. And then lovingly, as we've have a heart to help. We've got a growth plan. Now we're going to hold you accountable. That is what a loving family member would do for a son or daughter. And Paul is telling the church that you need to do the same sorts of ministry. Now, it's easy to talk like in the scheme of the church, but I want to make sure that each time we kind of go to the individual, we think about the person, not just like the activities of the church. Because all of us can look at our lives and make judgments about our own lives and see some places that we need help, that we need a growth plan, that we need some accountability. Now, I know that uh, today's a pretty big uh, day when it comes to NFL football. Um, got a big, big game. We got, I mean, we got the game happening right here on the front row, the front two rows. You know, exciting time. Um, now, I, I, if you haven't figured this out, I'm not from here. <laughs> I, I don't think I have a bad accent, but you guys do. Um, so uh, where I'm from, it's all about college football. Uh, and the best college football coach that's ever existed, most would suggest, is a guy named Nick Saban. Um, not an Alabama fan, but, you know, very successful coach. And I, there's a quote that I love that he's given about, like, us seeking to be something, uh, having a life of discipline to become who we want us to become. He says this is so true. He's def his definition of discipline. Listen to this. Discipline, a person who is disciplined. Discipline is the ability to do what no one else wants to do. I, I don't want to eat right. 
but to be a disciplined person, I'm going to do what nobody else is doing. That's, a, that's, an, that's not easy. Discipline is the ability to do what no one else wants to do and then to not do what everybody else wants to do. As he's coaching young men, he's saying, listen, this is to, to, to be successful at whatever it is you're aiming for, you're going to have to have discipline. And that discipline personally is going to be you making choices that nobody else is making. Everybody else is overeating. You're not overeating. Everybody else is going to get like, I better stop talking about food because we're going to gore ourselves in a little bit. But it's also the, like, do the things that nobody wants to do. It's like getting up at five in the morning where no one else wants to get up at five in the morning and exercise. Now, I, I'm telling you all this because i be honest with you, um, Los Angeles has not been good to me in the year and a half that I've been here. Um, I, I, I confess this with my wife not in the room, um, that there was a fit Will in South Carolina, and now you are looking at chubby Will. Um, uh, about 25 to 30 pounds more than I was in South Carolina. Now, all we serve is like lard over there. So I don't know how it's happened, but I think it's because I don't have the same discipline here. I also recognize that I don't have the same amount of accountability. Accountability is a critical component in us being successful. Accountability is asking someone to help you when you know you're likely to make the wrong decisions. You see, for me, I think I was more successful because I was exercising consistently because I had a group of guys that I knew were going to ask me the questions about the goals that I had in life. They were walking with me. And when I said, I don't want to do this, they were lovingly enough saying, you're going to do it. So we have to also recognize that inside the church, and inside our lives, we may require some accountability. Now, I want to get to the, the bones of this for just a second. Because I know how this works for me. I also know how it works for Pastor Samir and your elders because I was a pastor for 14 years before I came here. And I can tell you some of the greatest pains that I had was having to go to my people who were in sin and could not respond appropriately to accountability. And I can tell you now that I'm not a pastor and just a member of a church, I know what I don't want to be. I don't want to be the person that the pastor has to come discipline. I don't want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to fall that way. So... I can do some things today to make sure I'm not that person. And you can follow me in this. First is to walk with God. If you don't want to be this story where you have to get kicked out of the church, then, then first do this, like walk with God. I remember when I was a, a young pastor, associate pastor, and I sat down with my pastor and asked him, what's one thing I could do? And he said, please tell me you're having your quiet time every day. And I'm like, I'm having my quiet time, pastor. And he's like, everything that could go wrong starts to go wrong when a man or a woman of God disengages with his walk with God. So the first thing you can do to ensure this isn't you and you don't put the pressure on your pastor because you're walking with God. The second is to be a person of humility. Humility. 
Somebody who recognizes I could fall into mistakes myself. So I'm going to walk humbly. Thirdly is to submit yourself to accountability. Have a group of people. You've given them rights in your life that, hey, if I get off track, you can say something. It could be as simple as this, like, hey, I don't want to yell at my kids. I have the propensity to do that. So if you see me getting upset, I want you to call me out on that. This is someone who doesn't want to get to the the negative end. They want to cut it off before it gets really, really bad. These are some things that you can do to ensure that you don't become the problem. But you do have to see that if the problem continues and doesn't end, that the Bible says that with Christians, we may have to create distance. We may, for the love of the person, have to create distance. Look with me at verses 12 and 13 and we'll be done today. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's already established, we're not doing that. Is it not those inside the church who we are to judge? God judges the outsider. What he is also saying is that is our responsibility to make judgments about what is happening with the discipleship of the people inside the church. And if they continue on in sin, it says to purge the evil person from among you. Okay. So my kids are 22, 20, and 16. My mama told me something that has become very, very true. You know when your mom says something when you're like 22, it's like, I'll consider listening to you. But when you're like 42 and you've like walked the road, you're like, that lady was smart. Here's one of the things that she she said to me. When your kids are little, their problems are small, but they come often. And anybody who's got little kids right now, you know what I mean. It's like constantly, don't touch that. No, stop it. You know, it's, they're, but they're not like, they're not huge. They're just little things over and over and over and over and over again. And she says to me, when they are little, their problems are small, but they are many. But when they grow up, there are a lot less problems. But when they come, they are traumatic. And if you're like me and you're raising some young adult kids who you've done everything you possibly can to show them what it looks like to walk with Christ and you're seeing them make mistake after mistake after mistake, you know what my mom means. It's not they pooped in their diaper. It's like I'm hoping they're not going to go to jail. And it's a different burden on your heart. I would even say to the young moms and dads that are here, those are the greater pains that are down the road. And some of us have had to face the hardest of the hard, which is where you have tried and tried and tried, only to realize that your attempts of helping are not being received and they are not helping. That it's likely that as you have worked tirelessly to love them, 
that the only right thing to do now is to remove the crutch so that they might hit the bottom. And if that doesn't already sound painful in its description, I'm just telling you, if you have to experience it, it is awful. And I believe that what Christ is calling us to do in this passage when he says sometimes you have to create distance is that we would do it the same way that a mama or a daddy would do it to their child. With weeping. With self-doubt. With personal pain. If ever someone in this body will not repent of their sin, will not receive help, that if we get to that point, the heart of how it's done is done in such a way that it is like a mom or a dad who has to do this to their child. I know that is Pastor Samir's desire, but I would beg you, let's just not get there. Let's walk humbly with God. Let's be people of humility. Let's go ahead now and ask for accountability so that we never get to the bottom. So that we don't have to become the person who is walked away from. Now, as we close, while this may be the case for us, that the only way that we will actually grow out of our sin is to experience a pain like this, I want you to know while it's right for the church, God is still God. Probably my favorite, ver my favorite word in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word called chesed. Chesed means a loyal, enduring love. And that is what Christ has for all of us. Even for those of us who've fallen into such great sin, that it's to the point where someone now has to come to us and approach us and challenge us that we still have the said love. It is a loyal love of God. It is a loving kindness. It is a patient endurance that God has for us. So even when we hit the rock bottom, God is still there. He still loves you. And I don't know about you, but this draws me into worship. Because I am the person who has had my shortcomings. You know what God did with my shortcomings? He gave me a wave of grace. Do you know what God did when I omitted the things of my life that I knew I should be do, doing but I didn't? He gave me another wave of grace. In the midst of my failures and my lowest moments, you know what God did for me? He gave me another wave of grace. And in the midst of my mistakes again and again, he brings another wave of grace. So if that's you, if you're in your sin and you're in your failures, I want you to know that his said love, his loving kindness, his patient endurance, while everybody else might have to walk away from you, he's still there. He still loves you. He's still fulfilling you grace. And the reason that that is there and the church is being asked to do something different 
heart is because he will never, ever leave you, but you are to be reminded of how important it is that you have community to never get there again. So if you're here today and that feels uncomfortable to you, you're like, just be reminded of this. In everything, Christ, for those who are in the faith, no matter your failure, your omission, your mistakes, he gives you grace and grace again for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If that's you, let's worship together because of that. But if you haven't received that grace today, I want you to pray with me and accept that grace that God has to offer. Would you bow your head? Holy God, everyone in this room is a mistake maker. But some of us are receiving grace in the midst of our mistakes. We're receiving a loyal love, an enduring patience, a kindness, even as we make mistakes. Because we're living in a relationship with you. And yet, God, there's some people here today, likely, who've not yet accepted you to be who you say you are, that you are the Son of God, that you have eternally existed, that you died on a cross so that our sins might be forgiven, and you rose from the dead to show that you have the power over sin and death. And for those of us who put our faith in you, what we receive even in the midst of our mistakes is grace. So Lord, if there's somebody here today who's not received that grace, God, I pray that right now they would look to you and just, just say to you, Lord, I have made my mistakes. I believe you are who you say you are. I trust in you. And for the rest of my days, I will follow your commands as my Lord. And if you have truly committed to him, God who can see the heart, then today what you receive for the first time is grace upon grace upon grace. Holy God, thank you that on January 31st of 1996, I gave my life to you. And since then, you've given me a wave after wave of grace. I praise you for that in both my prayer here and the song that we will sing. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.